Hello and welcome to Background Briefing, available 24-7 at backgroundbriefing.org. I'm Ian Masters, and today we'll look into a number of stories and issues in the news. We'll begin with the devastating revelations in the Washington Post that reveal Trump held on to the most top-secret information the government possesses on a foreign nation's nuclear capabilities and defense plans. After obfuscating with the DOJ and the National Archives and lying that he had handed back all classified material, it was only because of the August 8th FBI retrieval of these documents that we know the extent to which Trump has endangered our national security and given aid and comfort to our enemies. Joining us to assess the gravity of the nuclear secrets now compromised is Paul Carroll, the director of the Charity and Security Network and the former director of programs at the Plowshares Fund, an expert on a broad array of nuclear weapons topics from the history and current status of U.S. plans and programs to international programs and treaty regimes. He has a particular expertise on the Department of Energy's nuclear weapons infrastructure, where warheads are designed, built, tested, and stored. He's also an expert on North Korea's program and the challenges of limiting it, having traveled to the DPRK twice with non-governmental delegations. And he worked on nuclear weapons issues at the Congressional Office of Technology Assessment and the United States Department of Energy. Then we'll discuss the culmination of the right-wing capture of our courts by unqualified and young ideologues picked by the Federalist Society, embodied by the recent actions of the Florida District Judge, Cannon, who rewarded her benefactor, Trump, with a political ruling which makes a mockery of the law. Joining us is Lisa Graves, the Executive Director of the new corporate watchdog group True North Research. She has served as a senior advisor in all three branches of the federal government, as Deputy Assistant Attorney General in the Justice Department, as Chief Counsel for Nominations on the Senate Judiciary Committee, and as a Deputy Chief of the Article III Judges Division for the U.S. Courts. Then finally, we'll assess the change in the GOP from the Party of Law and Order and the stewards of national security to a cult of lackeys who don't seem to mind that their beloved Führer has either sold, traded, or destroyed some of the nation's top secrets. Joining us to try to understand why anyone supports this criminal and traitor is Anne Nelson, who teaches journalism and public affairs at Columbia University. Her books include Red Orchestra, The Berlin Underground, and The Circle of Friends Who Resisted Hitler, a New York Times book review editor's choice, and Suzanne's Children, A Daring Rescue in Nazi Paris, a finalist for the National Jewish Book Award. A native of Oklahoma, her latest book is Shadow Network, Media, Money, and the Secret Hub of the Radical Right, now out in an updated paperback version. We will discuss her latest articles at The New Republic, 10 People You've Never Heard Of Who Are Destroying Democracy, and A Rare Peek Inside the Vast Right-Wing Conspiracy. And before we go to our first guest, this program is completely independent without corporate sponsors and advertising relying entirely on your support. So we ask you to take a moment and visit backgroundbriefing.org slash donate or go to our nonprofit media foundation at publictruthmedia.org where you can keep us online and on the air on a growing number of stations for as little as $5 a month. Help sustain us into the future so that we can continue to provide breaking news analysis from the most knowledgeable guests at home and abroad. And we've made it easier for you to donate simply by credit card at backgroundbriefing.org slash donate, where your tax-deductible contributions make this program possible. 
And joining us now is Paul Carroll, the Director of the Charity and Security Network and the former Director of Programs at the Plowshares Fund, an expert on a broad array of nuclear weapons topics from the history and current status of U.S. plans and programs to international programs and treaty regimes. He has had a particular expertise in the Department of Energy's nuclear weapons infrastructure, where warheads are designed, built, tested and stored. He is also an expert on North Korea's program and the challenges to limiting it, having travelled to North Korea twice with non-governmental delegations. And he has worked on nuclear weapons issues at the Congressional Office of Technology Assessment and at the United States Department of Energy. Welcome to Background Briefing, Paul Carroll. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks for joining us. And the Washington Post have revealed that on the August the 8th raid of Mar-a-Lago, the FBI found special access programs, which are so top secret that only the president and some members of his cabinet uh, have access to it. 99% of people with, with top secret clearances can't get near this stuff. It's in, in a secure compartmented information facility, and it's basically on a very limited need-to-know basis. So how, in God's name, did this material disappear along with what, 42 folders uh, marked uh, secret and top secret, etc., where the contents were missing. My understanding is that the contents were to be annotated, and on the front of the folder it would have a recording number, and we know that the DNI is looking into this. But I'm particularly amazed that this material that Trump got, which is normally has a designated control officer, to keep tabs on these documents, that you don't just get to look at them. You get to look at them under limited circumstances, and they're taken back. So how in God's name did Trump get hold of these amazingly top secrets? And it's very clear that he was delaying and denying and lying to officials about what he had. So he was holding this back, as though this was his number one treasure. Go figure. Yes. Well, I, 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 I guess my, you know, my short answer to the question of how did he get his hands on this is, at the end of the day, he is the president of the United States, and every cabinet official reports to him. And so I can imagine a scenario over the course of months or years or over a presidential administration where, whether they're security briefings or even just cabinet-level briefings, if you're the Department of Defense or the Department of Energy which, after all, is really the Department of Nuclear Weapons, they would bring information in with them if the president had requested it. Or if the president had requested a briefing on a topic, then they may need to bring in classified material to support their their briefing. Um, what, What I couldn't have imagined a few years ago, but I could imagine under Trump, is that he might simply say, leave that with me. And I think it would be hard for a cabinet secretary to say, no, I, I won't or I can't. And so um, it, it's a mystery from that point on how or why officials in the White House allow that to happen. But I think broadly speaking, as the president of the United States, he had authority to request such information. How it got from 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue to, to Mar-a-Lago is, is an entirely, I think, question to be determined. But what concerns me... <laughs> Even what concerned me a week ago when it was revealed so much classified information was found is is yesterday's revelations that particular types of information regarding nuclear weapons and their potential 
employment or deployment were included in that. And that, in my view and in my experience, is, is a special category unto itself. And this is, of course, the documents that the FBI agents gathered on August the 8th, which now a Trump-appointed judge has frozen the investigation of them looking into it. They were so highly classified that the agents and the DOJ people in the counterintelligence division weren't, they had to be read in to even read what they were, these documents were. And they apparently described foreign governments' military defenses, including their nuclear capabilities. Now, it's a foreign government. I mean, my guess would be it would be Israel. And if that's the case, that's got to be some of the most closely guarded secrets that the country has, right? Well, it, it would be the most closely guarded secret a country has in, in any case, in any of the, the nine nuclear states, whether whether officially recognized or not. But I, I want to back up a second to something you said, which we've seen in several press reports, that the FBI officials and agents and, and whoever they may have brought with them stopped and when they recognized the type of information that they were finding. And I, I think we need to, to credit them for their professionalism in recognizing like, wow, even though I'm an FBI agent and I have a certain level of, of security clearance or a certain level of authority here, there are some lines I do not cross and they did not cross them. So I, I think we need to, to owe them you know, a debt of gratitude. But it also tells me that they were trained in understanding the different types of classified information. And, um, you know, there are very important distinctions and nuances. And, and one of the things you pointed to, that it appears that a foreign government, whether it was an adversary or an ally, is unclear, um, was included in this type of information. And from what I read in the Washington Post, it was categorized as what's called formerly restricted data, FRD. Now, that it that almost sounds like, oh, formerly, so therefore it's not classified anymore. But it's very Byzantine. What, what formerly restricted data actually refers to is information that is no longer simply about the manufacture and design of weapons, but actually about their military use, their military either deployment, arrangement, capabilities, or maybe even plans of attack. And so what you said about, let's say, Israel, or let's say maybe it was Pakistan, or perhaps it was Britain, um, <laughs> is fundamentally devastating to that particular nation's security, not to mention a complete breach of trust and faith if it was an allied government. And again, I'm speaking with Paul Carroll, the director of the Charity and Security Network and the former director of programs at the Plowshares Fund, an expert on a broad array of nuclear weapons topics from the history and current status of U.S. plans and programs to international programs and treaty regimes. He has a particular expertise in the Department of Energy's nuclear weapons infrastructure, where warheads are designed, built, tested, and stored. He's also an expert on North Korea's program and the challenges to limiting it, having traveled to North Korea twice with non-governmental delegations, and he's worked on nuclear weapons issues at the Congressional Office of Technology Assessment and the United States Department of Energy. So Trump, of course, was given all of them the top secrets involved in, in the process in, involved in the nuclear launch. He has the football following him all the time, so he's very aware of that. And the PSYOP, the Single Integrated Operation Plan, that determines the entire nuclear strategy of the United States and, and its targeting, he's also had access to that, has he not? So do we know what he's going to do with that information? I mean, this would be the most 
potent information an adversary could have, surely. Absolutely. I, I think if what he intended to do with it, we have no idea. In fact, I would even wonder, does, did he actually know what he had? Um, <laughs> now, I think people would give him the benefit of a doubt, and many have posited like, oh, it's simply, you know, he, this is a, a profit motive. He could sell these to the highest bidder. And, and that that's plausible. Um, but I, I have to say, you know, it, it, it takes a certain amount of intentionality, a certain amount of patience and understanding to actually understand the distinctions between sort of run-of-the-mill secret information versus secret compartmentalized information, or SCI, and then what's what I said earlier, which is restricted data or formally restricted data, which is particular to nuclear weapons and nuclear weapons uh, strategy. And so I, I, you know, this may sound flip, but I... <laughs> I don't give Trump that much credit. <laughs> now, those around him may have advised or may have known, but um, regardless of his intent, at the end of the day, the facts on the ground are that this material was taken from a U.S. government facility, the White House, and transported, who knows how, to a location that is not at all secure in a very haphazard and sloppy manner. And it, I can't count the number of laws and executive orders and regulations that, that were broken, but they are many. And they're not just civil penalties. These are criminal transgressions. Well, this information, of course, came out after the judge made this incredible, and then she was appointed by Trump and after he'd lost the elections, and she's clearly unqualified. But nevertheless, she gave this extraordinary uh, ruling which has stopped the investigation cold. You know, she went beyond even what Trump was asking for. So I don't know whether you can. This new information might alter her opinion. I doubt it. She's probably an ideologue and certainly an unqualified one at that. So that seems futile. Even yesterday, Bill Barr went on Fox News and absolutely excoriated the judge's decision. But this, again, was before this bombshell was dropped by the Washington Post. Doesn't this change the whole picture? I mean, what is wrong with this country? Why do people support somebody that is, at the very least, so reckless with the nation's top secrets and, at the very worst, is likely to be selling them or monetizing them in some way or other? I mean, why does this man have any support whatsoever in this country, let alone the judiciary on his side and most of the Republican Party. Well, now you're asking me to, to, to opine, and, and I'm willing to do that a bit. Um, I, I do think that there is a segment of, of any society, um, but particularly in this moment in the U.S. history, a, a, an unusually large segment of our society to which Donald Trump appeals. He reinforces grievances. He reinforces you know, blaming the other for for your lot in life or your the fact that maybe you feel you don't have as much opportunity or as much stature in society as you used to. And so it, it's, you know, blind faith in a way. If he's reinforcing their gripes, then the facts don't matter. But I think back to something more fundamental here is what Bill Barr said. You're beginning to see, this is, I think, a little more evidentiary, you're beginning to see those around Trump who were perhaps in the administration, you know, there's a continuum, right? There are those who are going to die on the hill of Donald Trump. 
And then there are those who served in his administration, and maybe they bit their tongue because they felt there were larger things they were contributing to, and and now maybe they're being indicted or they're they're falling from grace. And then you have others who are like, well, I was on this train for a while, but wow, I didn't think it would get this bad. And someone in a position like Bill Barr has is 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 in that place on the continuum. I think he I think the the, the straw of the of this judge saying, you know, ah, well, hey, let's hit the pause button and really understand this. I mean, what what more is there to understand? So. I, you know, I, I think the uh, the drain is circling, and it's going to be. I mean, interesting is probably the wrong word. It's, it remains to be seen who's going to, you know, go down with the Trump ship and who's going to jump ship. But at the end of the day, I, I'm less worried about Trump and his fate, and much more worried about what damage was done to our national security. Are we going to rebuild and have faith in our institutions like the Justice Department, like the judiciary being independent, not politicized, like our elections? Because we're now, you know, this. let's suppose this isn't the low point. I mean, that, that's that's what's frightening to me. Well, just in the last couple of minutes, though, as I mentioned earlier, these are the documents that Trump held back after delivering some in January and then lying about the remainder in June and clearly, these are, this is stuff that he treasured the most. So, but all the while, these incredibly sensitive top secrets involving foreign countries and their nuclear arsenals and and defense plans have been sitting in a, in a place in a storage room off a, a swimming pool at a at a private club that you, all you need is to pay the money to get into. And we've already had a Russian or Ukrainian national going in and out of there in 2021, playing golf with Trump and Lindsey Graham and hanging out with Don Jr.'s girlfriend. And one day in May of 2021, she visited the place five times in one day. There was no lock on the storage room. So any uh, even semi-competent foreign uh, government that's hostile to the United States could have targeted this, would have targeted the Russians and the Chinese with the Cubans as well, working for the Russians, they are very sophisticated. Surely they've targeted this place. So do we have to assume that these secrets have been lost? I, I think we should assume that because like military commanders are, are, you know, I think trained to say you need to assume sort of the worst case scenario. You have to prepare for the worst. And in this case, you know, you don't want to be alarmist or panic, but Given what you've just laid out, the time frame during which these very sensitive materials were essentially accessible and the nature of the information, we, we have to assume that, they, I don't know if I'd say they've been lost, but that they've been compromised, that they could have been either uh, copied or, or accessed or, or you know, someone laid eyes on them. And so, yeah, there, there's. I, I think we should assume there's a leak. And what mitigation can we do in that case? Um, if, if let's suppose it was Israel. You know, if I were the Mossad right now and I was the government of Israel, I would be freaking out for a couple of reasons. Um, even though Israel declines having any nuclear capability, it's kind of the worst kept secret in the world. Um, but if it actually undermines their security, 
that, that I, I have a hard time thinking of a greater transgression of, of national security and a greater break of trust to someone who's supposed to be an ally. But the second thing that it compromises is the way in which that information was gleaned or acquired. I mean, methods and sources. Again, this is something you hear in Tom Clancy novels or spy movies, but it's a real thing. Who, who got that information? How did they get it? Some you know individuals in the field could be compromised and, and their lives are well-being at risk. And so there's a whole host of, of real risks here. And if I were Jake Sullivan at the National Security Council, I would be asking the same questions you're asking. And if I'm in the intelligence community and the nuclear weapons and security community, I would be asking those same questions and basically having 24 <laughs> seven meetings about what, what can we learn about what was at risk? What can we know about what may have gotten out? And then let the Justice Department do its job for the actual transgressions. Well, Paul Carroll, I thank you very much for joining us here today. My pleasure. Happy to help. And Well, thank you, Paul. And again, I've been speaking with Paul Carroll, who's the director of the Charity and Security Network, and he was formerly the director of programs at the Plowshares Fund, an expert on a broad array of nuclear weapons topics from the history and the current status of U.S. plans and programs to international programs and treaty regimes. He has a particular expertise on the Department of Energy's nuclear weapons infrastructure, where warheads are designed, built, tested, and stored. And he's also an expert on North Korea's program and the challenges of, to limiting it, having traveled to North Korea twice on non-governmental delegations. And he has worked on nuclear weapons issues at the Congressional Office of Technology Assessment and at the United States Department of Energy. We're going to take a restation break. We're back looking into how the recent ruling by the unqualified Florida District Judge Eileen Cannon is the culmination of the right-wing capture of our courts. Welcome back. I'm Ian Masters, and this is Background Briefing, available 24-7 at backgroundbriefing.org. And joining us now is Lisa Graves, the Executive Director of the new corporate watchdog group True North Research. She has served as a senior advisor in all three branches of the federal government, as Deputy Assistant Attorney General in the Justice Department, as Chief Counsel for Nominations on the Senate Judiciary Committee, and as a Deputy Chief of the Article Three Judges Division for the U.S. Courts. Welcome to Background Briefing, Lisa Graves. Thank you so much, Ian. Well, thanks for joining us. And you, uh, along with Sheldon Whitehouse, you've testified before his subcommittee in the Senate. And you have, uh, among the very few people who have pointed out the inordinate power of Leonard Leo, who runs a Federalist Society, who stacked the federal judiciary with unqualified judges. Well, now we have, uh, not that we needed the proof, but now it's just so stark that this unqualified judge down in Florida who was barely a lawyer, didn't pay her bar dues in Florida, was never a judge. She got railroaded through after Trump had lost the election. I think all Republicans in the Senate voted for her, and I think a lot of Democrats did too. And now she's come up with a completely political ruling that makes a mockery of the law, 
But, of course, it's all in the defense of Donald Trump. And, in fact, she's giving Donald Trump more than he asked for. So what more proof do we need that this is that Leonard Leo and the Federalists are a cancer on American democracy? I'm not sure we need any more proof of that, but this is certainly evidence that uh, Donald Trump has chosen people who um, should not have ever been confirmed to the, to the Supreme Court and to these lower courts um, based on their records. This is a person who, as you point out, Ian, um, was a lawyer, a practice, practice law for barely 12 years. Um, she was not distinguished in any, any way. I guess her her primary qualification was being a member of the Federal Society, which is the right-wing group of lawyers that um, that has been funded by big corporations like Koch Industries, as well as secret donors tied to Leonard Leo. And um, she was chosen by Trump to sit um, in, a, in a federal district court in Florida. It turns out that he actually filed his a complaint attacking this um, uh, the seizure of these documents in the criminal investigation. He filed that complaint in what's known as the Fort Pierce Division of that district court, where only one judge sits. The very young woman he put on the he put on the bench uh, right after he was um, defeated as president. She was confirmed, as you point out, um, shortly after the election and. Uh, she was in her late 30s at the time. She's now 41. And she's someone who, as a former uh, federal prosecutor for a very brief period, should have been actually deferential to what is a very substantial and significant ongoing criminal investigation. And yet she intervened in this extraordinary and political way, in a way that is, in, in my view, truly lawless and genuinely outrageous. Well, it should be. Uh, I mean, first of all, the, the magistrate down there was the one who approved the search warrant. She has superiority over him, right, in the pecking order. And Trump clearly went shopping to her, thinking he'd get a result. He actually got more than he bargained for, I think, in her shutting down the case on, on an amazingly specious grounds. Because this is a this is between the executive branch any rate, isn't it? She has no standing. I don't believe a federal judge, district judge, has the standing to stop a criminal investigation. Has that ever happened before? It's it's truly extraordinary. And the fact is, is that um, magistrates are the ones who typically issue the search warrants. And in this case, um, you know, the evidence that has been revealed so far provides substantial evidence to warrant that criminal investigation on multiple potential criminal charges against Donald Trump. And um, and I don't know of any sort of comparable precedent um, for a judge behaving in this way, acting in this way. And, you know, sh as you point out, she's gone out of her way to sort of add to the um, powers of this person uh, who's designated as a special master, which is a sort of term of art in uh, in the judicial system, someone who's designated to review materials. Um, but in this instance, she's halted the ongoing criminal investigation that doesn't halt the intelligence review to document um, the effect of his uh, breach, uh, his retention of these materials, including nuclear secrets of other countries and very sensitive materials about sources and methods apparently in the United States. Um, that review by the national security uh, community, the intelligence community is ongoing. But what she's done is apparently stop the prosecutors from interviewing witnesses, including witnesses they've already interviewed in the course of this criminal investigation. So, you know, she's someone who 
Uh, it's shocking that she has taken these actions. And she's also suggested that she has some sort of novel, broad view of executive privilege that's contrary to longstanding Supreme Court precedents um, around uh, President Nixon and his behavior. But as you point out, Ian, the fact is, is that um, Donald Trump can't uh, assert this sort of privilege in this way about documents that he had no right to retain, uh, no right to keep. Uh, and he also can't unilaterally, by some magic wand, somehow declassify them or get around the plain language of the Espionage Act, uh, which doesn't affect, does, it is not affected by whether something is, quote, specifically classified or not. So you have a political judge who was basically passed forward by Marco Rubio and Rick Scott. She was approved by every Republican senator who voted in that uh, vote in on November 12th, 2020. A handful of Democrats, 12 of them, did vote for her. 26 voted against her. Um, and she is now a lifetime appointee on the bench. She's appointed at an age similar to when another very infamous uh, judge was appointed, Clarence Thomas. So they want to find these ideologues early and put them on the bench in order to advance their political agenda. And again, I'm speaking with Lisa Graves, the executive director of the new corporate watchdog group, True North Research. She has served as a senior advisor in all three branches of the federal government, as deputy assistant attorney general in the Justice Department, as chief counsel for nominations on the Senate Judiciary Committee, and as a deputy chief of the Article Three Judges Division for the U.S. Courts. And another judge, unqualified judge from Florida, who was confirmed, I think, about the same time uh, by the Senate, was this Judge Mazel. Another district judge, Catherine Kimball Mazel, she was the one who has stopped, issued the nationwide injunction ending the mask mandate with on the most ludicrous grounds. So, so what's the next step then? I mean, when you were chief counsel for nominations on the Senate Judiciary Committee, I'm sure there were some people that you and and the committee were trying to stop. Why did any Democrat vote for her? Uh, that's what I don't understand. I'm not. Would it have made a difference? Yeah, I'm not I, I'm not sure why anyone would vote for her, although Joe Manchin and some of the other uh, more conservative, so-called conservative Democrats did. It was uh, largely, again, the Republicans who uh, got her confirmed for Trump. But, you know, it, it in my experience as the chief counsel for nominations for the Senate Judiciary Committee, it was very difficult to stop district court nominees. Um, we were successful um, in slowing down uh, some of these circuit court nominees, including John Roberts for a period, and uh, even stopping Brett Kavanaugh for a period, although he was ultimately renominated and confirmed after I left. Both of them uh, were confirmed to different positions after I left. But um, you know, it is the case that in the in the nominations world, the right wing has been treating these judicial appointments like chess players. Uh, in their political game, whereas the Democrats have tended to view the judges as neutrals. Um, they're not, uh, you know, not fought over or fought for as political pawns. But the right wing, uh, and certainly with the orchestrations of Leonard Leo and his dark money network, have been, you know, very deliberately trying to pack the court with super young people to sit on those courts for decades to come and whose primary qualification is their true belief, their alliance with this federal society um, agenda, which is, um, you know, I think one that has proven to be with the Supreme Court decision, for example, in Roe, its decision in the case involving the EPA and other decisions to come, that ideology, that philosophy is a radical reactionary philosophy that is determined to roll back our rights. In this instance, you have a judge who, you know, should never have been uh, approved, in my view, had no prior judicial experience whatsoever, and had barely practiced law for more than a decade. 
and she's someone who now is trying to play a pivotal role in um, aiding the man who appointed her in his quest to use executive privilege and other, uh, in my view, pretty specious claims uh, about the criminal investigation. In fact, you know, this is a man who in his rallies has attacked, rabidly attacked the FBI um, and uh, the national intelligence community for doing its job, which is to try to keep us safe from people who would steal our secrets or mishandle them as Donald Trump plainly has, in my view. So what's the next step then? I mean, if they appeal, the, the DOJ, and of all people, former Attorney General Bill Bass recommended that they do. He's absolutely trashed her opinions and exposed the specious nature of her rulings. So she's definitely incredibly appealable. But the problem is the 11th Circuit is again packed with Trump judges. And then, the, then if it goes to the Supreme Court, you know, forget about it. I mean, this is the state that we're in, that we have it literally activist judges on the right now who are ruling in a political way, regardless of the law. And Trump, in this case, shot for this judge and got exactly the outcome he wanted, but he got even more, which is extraordinary that she shut down the whole process. So what can the DOJ do now? Well, I, I do agree that the Department of Justice should appeal um, at least part of this ruling. I mean, the, the issue of attorney-client privilege was already resolved, basically, by the uh, the way DOJ approached the files to begin with. Um, the 11th Circuit has been packed by Trump uh, with the assistance of of Leonard Leo and a number of very far-right appointees who've been put on the court by uh, both Trump and by uh, George W. Bush. Um, and as you point out, and as everyone knows, this U.S. Supreme Court um, now is in the hands of some of the most radical reactionary judicial activists that have ever served in a, a judicial role in our nation's history, um, who are willing to overturn precedent after precedent. They may very well, uh, if they are, receive this case, try to overturn uh, the, the Nixon tapes precedent, uh, which she basically suggested and Kavanaugh has suggested um, you know, might be uh, something that they could overturn. And so we are in a very precarious position where one branch of our government, the supposedly independent branch of our government, the courts, has been deliberately packed with people who are not known for their background as being fair uh, judges, but for their background of allegiance or alliance uh, with um, Leonard Leo and his, and his dark money operations in terms of his agenda, um, who have that credential. Um, and you also have a situation in which um, it's very difficult to unpack the courts. Um, it took many years for them to pack the courts this way, and it's going to take a deliberate, concerted effort to unpack the courts so that we can restore um, fairness to our court system, which is seriously lacking when you see decisions like the two that you mentioned uh, by these um, appointees of Trump uh, in disregard for longstanding precedents. So we are in trouble. Our, our democracy is uh, threatened by Trump and his uh, fans and supporters and the cult that he has uh, cultivated. Um, and our judiciary um, ha has been deeply damaged by the right-wing appointees that Trump um, and his predecessor Republican president put on the court who seemed determined to, um, uh, in essence, expand presidential power, or the power of a former president in this instance, um, and limit the ability of we the people to um, have our rights protected by a fair, a fair and independent, truly independent judiciary. But if they could establish this precedent of Trump being so privileged that he has to have a special master, 
which no other citizen has in this country, putting Trump above the law, couldn't that mean that this president would be very dangerous, that every, you know, every criminal will be asking for a special master? Well, I do think it's it's a dangerous precedent in that sense. And the fact is, is that um, in in general, in these um, federal court proceedings, you know, the the warrant is issued based on probable cause of criminal activity. Um, that standard is not it's not nothing, um, but it is something that uh, appears to have been easy to meet in this circumstance. And the idea that it's an unprecedented search of a former president, um, you know, bestows on him some special. Uh, status that is not warranted. He is the former president. He's no longer president. He's not a sitting president. Um, and he lost that election. And he is, like any other citizen in the United States, subject to the criminal law. And so what's what would be extraordinary would be not prosecuting him, not pursuing him for, his, uh, for any crimes that he's committed. And it appears that he may well have committed several. I think he has. Well, can you then... I mean, there's always been shortages of judges and the judiciary is backlogged at the federal bench. So is one solution to get more judges on the bench? Definitely. The fact is, is that um, for the U.S. Supreme Court, for example, the number is not set by the Constitution, but there have been nine for over 100 years. And yet the United States has grown dramatically in size in the past century. Um, this court, uh, the Supreme Court, takes only uh, about 10 percent of the cases uh, that are brought to it, actually, I think it's it's less than that. It's uh, they receive um, you know nine thousand uh, appeals a year, and they accept only about less than a hundred cases, and they're handpicking those for the cases that this faction, this right wing faction, wants to rule on. In terms of the lower courts, the same thing. The courts have expanded. Uh, over the last several decades, including a major expansion by Republicans when Ronald Reagan was president. But the fact is, is that we have too few judges, uh, qualified and fair-minded judges in particular, but too few judges to handle the caseload of our very large and complex society. So I do think that we should have a modern 21st century American judiciary that looks like America and is not chosen uh uh, because people are young uh, members of this elite sort of right-wing society, but because they have genuine long-term reputations for fairness and fair-mindedness that they can be entrusted with deciding uh, cases involving individuals, corporations, and involving issues like this. And so I, I do think we need to expand the courts, including the U.S. Supreme Court, and even add some additional circuits, these appellate courts, um, which also are um, two staff with too few people to handle the caseload of the American people. Well, just in closing, uh, Lisa Graves, I don't know whether she knows, this uh, Judge Cannon, what the legal community has saying in response to her r ridiculous amateurish rulings, which were clearly totally politically biased. Uh, nutty, crazy, twisting the law like a pretzel, poorly sound, uh, laughably bad, all this kind of stuff. I mean... It's the same, I think, with Clarence Thomas and Sam Alito. They don't care, right? I mean, they just laugh when liberals get in on outrage. That's, that's their, their fun. That's how they get their jollies, trolling the libs. Isn't that what's happening here, that we just had this kind of hateful cult that's metastasized into the, into the new GOP, into Trump's GOP? And that they're, I mean, they used to be the stewards of our national security, the Republicans, and now they're protecting a traitor. It's unbelievable. 
It is mind boggling. You know, you think you think about uh, that those issues of national security should be nonpartisan, should be above partisanship because they're about our most important secrets for our national security, as well as the secrets of other countries based on the new revelations that the materials included nuclear secrets of other nations, as well as dirt on uh, allied officials that he would keep these materials. Um, if anyone else, if any Democrat or someone who didn't even have a party uh, a name or behind their name uh, behaved in this way, had, had acted this way toward um, our, our most, some of our most important documents, top secret documents, documents with letter classification, um, had treated in that way, they would be already be prosecuted. They would probably already be behind bars. Um, and yet you have Republicans who over and over again are apologists for this man, no matter how egregious his behavior. And you have people at rallies um, uh, shouting for him and clapping for him, applauding for his outrageous claims that he makes without regard to the fact, ignoring the facts. And you have a, a major network in Fox um, that every single night is basically spreading lies to the American people. And so um, it is truly head spinning to see um, these Republicans willing to turn their back on our national security community, on our the secrets that help keep us safe in defense of this, this, in my personal view, most malignant presence in our political system, uh, you know, in its history, uh, beyond Joe McCarthy, beyond some of the other egregious examples of history, Donald Trump, in my personal view, uh, is truly, a, you know, much more than a blemish on our democracy. He's someone who is has corrupted it in multiple ways and has, you know, not single-handedly, but substantially undermined the integrity of the federal bench, of the federal courts, um, their reputation, um, our rights, um, and is uh, in, an ongoing, in an ongoing assault on the very processes of our democracy, of our elections. And of course, at Trump's latest rally, he put a target on Biden's back by calling him an enemy of the people. So that's how low we've sunk. I thank you for joining us, uh, Lisa Graves. Thank you so much, Ian. Thank you for having me on. And again, I've been speaking with Lisa Graves, the executive director of the new corporate watchdog group, True North Research. She has served as a senior advisor in all three branches of the federal government, as deputy assistant attorney general in the Justice Department, as chief counsel for nominations on the Senate Judiciary Committee, and as the deputy chief of the Article Three Judges Division of the U.S. Courts. We're going to take a brief station break and back assessing the change in the GOP from the party of law and order and the stewards of national security to a cult of lackeys who don't seem to mind that their beloved Führer has either sold, traded, or destroyed some of the nation's top secrets. Welcome back. I'm Ian Masters, and this is Background Briefing, available 24-7 at backgroundbriefing.org. And joining us now is Anne Nelson, who teaches journalism and public affairs at Columbia University. Her books include Red Orchestra, The Berlin Underground, and The Circle of Friends Who Resisted Hitler, a New York Times Book Review Editor's Choice, and Suzanne's Children, A Daring Rescue in Nazi Paris, a finalist for the National Jewish Book Award. 
a native Oklahoma. Her latest book is Shadow Network, Media Money and the Secret Hub of the Radical Right, now out in an updated paperback version. And her latest articles at the New Republic are 10 People You've Never Heard Of Who Are Destroying Democracy and A Rare Peek Inside the Vast Right-Wing Conspiracy. Welcome to Background Briefing, Anne Nelson. Thank you, Ian. So, Anne, the... uh, the vast right-wing conspiracy, it's staring us in the face now. You've got Leonard Lee of the Federalists uh, through Carrie Severino, the Judicial Crisis Network, now the Concord Fund, raising all this dark money to stack the federal bench with unqualified judges who are young. They've done it, and they've controlled the Supreme Court now, and uh, so much of the judiciary, and one of their least qualified judges who uh, barely practiced law, didn't pay her Florida bar dues, never was a judge. She got confirmed after Trump lost the election, and yet she's made one of the most consequential rulings in protecting Trump, giving him more than he asked for, and basically stopping a federal criminal investigation in its tracks, which she basically has no standing to do. And now you're faced with the possibility, as Bill Barr, the former Attorney General, recommended the DOJ you know, appeal, which would take you to the 11th Circuit, which is stacked with Trump-appointed judges too. And then if it ever gets to the Supreme Court, what we know, <laughs> the Supreme Court is stacked with Trump-appointed right-wing judges too. So this is a lamentable situation where we finally have a situation now where the judiciary... Uh, you can shop, the Trumpsters can shop for judges and get exactly the results they want, where politics rules and the law is merely incidental. Well, rather than shop, he put it in advance order for a home delivery, I would say. <laughs> but um, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but but I've said for a while that Trump was running a three-ring circus with the support of people like the Council for National Policy operating in Congress and with administrative appointments and and in the judiciary. That was true. But what's different now is that the response is now a three-ring circus. So most of these actions are not passing unnoticed and they're not passing uncontested. I... I'm not a lawyer, so I can't give you an opinion on, on the circuit court, but but you are having the anti-raised. So the revelations from the documents at Mar-a-Lago that the FBI confiscated are jaw-dropping. And even yesterday, there was another leak that was published in the Washington Post that talked about extremely secret docu- documents having to do with a foreign government's military and nuclear capabilities, right? And these things are kept under lock and key behind multiple locked doors, et cetera. Uh, and the idea that Trump has it lying around, you know, uh, for access is shocking to anybody that's worked in the military, anybody that's worked in the government, uh, the legal community. So yes, he has his court appointed judges, But on the other hand, the consequences for them supporting this kind of behavior are going to become more extreme by the minute. So let's assume, uh, Anne, that the nuclear secrets belong 
to the state of Israel, which is, I think, the most likely. Let's assume that just for the sake of argument. Uh Yeah, let's assume that. (laughs) And we know that the Republicans have enormous support for the for the state of Israel, particularly Netanyahu and when there's a right-wing government there. But we, you also have this other phenomenon of Christian Zionists supporting Israel in the hope that they will trigger Armageddon and they'll all get raptured up to heaven and you and I will die in the lake of fire. However... At least we'll be in good company, Ian. <laughs> that's very comforting. <laughs> so... Will this make a difference if it turns out that the state of Israel, which is in a very, you could argue, in a, in a constant war zone, if their nuclear defense secrets are now available to the world, because God knows once she, in the intelligence business, once there's a counterintelligence breach of this magnitude, this counterintelligence nightmare presented by Mar-a-Lago, the assumption is that everything's already compromised and you've got to start from scratch. And this is likely, if it's true, the Israeli defense forces and the Mossad and others are going to be absolutely in the lather. Will that make a difference if they weigh in? I mean, what makes a difference with this cult? Because that's what I find extraordinary, is that the Republicans used to be the sober party of national security, and now they're enabling somebody who, in my opinion, having spent some, a lot of time talking to a lot of intelligence sources, is a traitor. So, you know, I've stared at election numbers now pretty hard for well over five years. And the American electorate has hard cores. Now, they're going to be hardcore MAGA supporters, Trump supporters, uh, my best guess at the moment is, you know, maybe 20 to 25 percent of the electorate. Um, and and, you know, there's, you know, somewhat larger, hardcore. I'm going to vote Democrat no matter what sector on the other side. So really, as, as I talk about in Shadow Network, all of our elections are about these relatively narrow slivers in swing states that can be three to five percent or even far less. You know, you have major elections in places like Arizona determined by differences of a thousand votes, right? Nothing. So that's where we should be looking. We should be looking at the swing states and the swing voters. Uh, I think it's quite possible that they are persuadable. Obviously, if Trump is, you know, flouncing around Mar-a-Lago with Israeli nuclear capabilities in you know in an unlocked room that will that will bother a lot of people on a lot of counts uh first of all you know if you look at at swing voters and moderate republicans as people who correspond to law and order and authority-based value systems he's breaking rules that they have had to obey their whole lives that's not going to sit well jewish voters will not be happy uh, Jewish voters may reflect on Jared Kushner's uh, cozy relationships with the Saudis, which may not be a happy thought. So you've got mounting, mounting liabilities. And let's be honest here. You've got the, the system that's moving through the courts, however slowly the wheels of justice may grind on. You got a parallel process which involves leaks to the press, as in the Washington Post yesterday. And it's not just 
whichever foreign country's nuclear capabilities we're talking about, we're also talking about this leak of human intelligence resources. At the same time, the CIA reports that their sources in different countries are being eliminated. And that story will need to play in a large way as well. Well, that's why I, I use the word traitor, because it, throughout his tenure, almost all of the CIA's assets in China were rolled up, uh, and in Russia they were rolled up. And one of the more flagrant... Iran ex- as well. And in and Iran. And one of the more flagrant examples was that the CIA had a source in the Kremlin itself who was chief aide to the deputy foreign minister of Russia. He was in and out of Putin's office and was able to provide the CIA with absolutely solid intelligence that Putin was interfering in the 2016 election in favor of Trump to hurt Hillary Clinton. And that became the basis of why President Obama wanted to convene the the big eight with McConnell and Paul Ryan, along with their Democratic counterparts, and go public that the Russians were interfering in the 2016 election. But neither Ryan nor McConnell would go along with it. So unfortunately, Obama dropped the issue. But then this asset that the CIA had inside the Kremlin, obviously a very valuable one, the minute that Trump got the nomination and then got elected, he then asked the CIA to get him out of Russia because he knew that Trump would expose him in his private conversations with Putin uh, or whatever communications they have, which we still don't know how they communicate. So this is a guy that they had to exfiltrate him from Russia. Then they put him in a safe house in Virginia. And then Devin Nunez's people, it looks like Cash Patel and that crowd, outed him where his address gave it to CNN and the camera showed up. And then they had to move the guy into hiding and it prevented him from testifying to Robert Mueller. Uh, So this this is how they play the game, these thugs in the Trump world. And yet... They've got the whole party behind them. That's what I don't understand. What happened to these Republicans? Why do the former champions of of law and order, of standing up to Russia and the Soviet Union and our national security, now they're they're all rolling over for this criminal and traitor? Well, but but the signs of division are showing, right? Uh, and, you know, even even I know that Lynn Cheney, you know, paid a political price for her position, but there were people who paid a lot of attention to her. Uh, you have somebody like like William Crystal, uh, who just gave a very interesting interview uh, the other day about his re- history as a Republican and why he can't vote for Republicans anymore. And he and his new publication, The Bulwark, they're they're starting to lead a movement of Republican defectors. You see the same thing happening in the evangelical community. There are pastors who are are waking up and saying, our congregation is listening to QAnon and not me. And they're very concerned. And they're trying to pull people away from this, this whole disinformation ecosystem that has been misleading people so grievously. Right, but they somebody has to arrest Rupert Murdoch. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it, is there a way there? I mean, finally Biden has started to speak about the danger that 
the Magan Republicans pose to American democracy itself and how they have no regard at all for either the rule of law or the will of the people and that they're going to rig future elections. I don't know why they're not making a campaign slogan that if you don't vote in November, it's your last chance to vote because if the Republicans take over, your vote will become meaningless. So obviously Biden did his national address the other day from where the Constitution itself was drafted, but it wasn't played on the major networks. It wasn't played on Fox. It was only played on on CNN and MSNBC. So it didn't really reach a lot of Americans. And frankly, I don't think any Democrat, even Biden, who's always been fairly collegial with Republicans, can sway the necessary number of Republicans to wake up to the clear and present danger that Donald Trump poses to American democracy and to our national security. Well, again, uh, it's a very, very complex chessboard. Uh, We're used to focusing on presidential elections because that's the way the national press has played it. That's their their easy to grasp horse race. Right now, it is critical to look at the state legislature elections. Because if there's going to be an attempt to invoke the independent state legislature doctrine, which apparently there will be, uh, it will require the Republicans to control a majority of state houses. That may happen and it may not because the Democrats are pushing back, uh, starting to push back more effectively on that front. Uh, If the Republicans win the legislature, they'll be able to uh, spend the next two years investigating and impeaching Biden and Harris, which they've promised to do. So that is of critical importance. The same thing with the Senate. So, uh, you know, the Senate will control things like judiciary appointments and, and so on. So there's more going on than any single person can digest. But uh, we've been seeing the polling numbers move substantially in the direction of the Democrats recently. Um, And particularly interesting are polling numbers of women under 35. Uh, Traditionally, they have had like a five point gain for the Democrats. The new registration, voter registrations in that demographic are Democrats plus 20. So you have the impact of the Supreme Court's Dobbs decision playing out there. So, it is a, as I said, it is wild and woolly, and it's going to get woollier and wilder. Well, just in the last uh, minute or so, and I guess what I'm suggesting is that maybe the Democrats should find some disaffected Republicans, perhaps even a former President George W. Bush, or somebody that might have the gravitas. I know Liz Cheney's doing heroic work in that regard, but it seems to me that the Republicans are the best ones to be able to persuade Republicans that they've got to switch. It's really hard for Republicans to switch and vote for a Democrat because of this tribalism we have in this country. Yes, yeah, do remember that a lot of Republicans uh, started out as Reagan Democrats, right? Mm-hmm. So you do have this swing vote in there. And again, there's some things that are moving the needle in the Democrats' favor, uh, gas prices came down. A lot of people care intensely about that. Uh, the economy is is improving. Um, the abortion ruling is playing out on a larger scale than than I anticipated. I thought it would have an impact, but it's having more of an impact than than I expected. And you know, you had three recent elections of various kinds in upstate New York, 
in Kansas and in Alaska, where those newly registered younger women apparently had had a definitive role in the outcome in the Democrats' favor. Uh, now, if it had just been one region or if it just been, you know, a Democratic coastal state, I would have been more restrained. But these are three very different states that had the same effect. Uh, and so if you get, you know, it, it, for years, the, the game has been how which party can turn out and register new voters at the greatest rate. And the Republicans were in, able to mobilize these evangelical churches, I think that vote is tapped out. They're reaching out into the Pentecostals, which have a higher African-American and new immigrant population, and they're recruiting there. But all of a sudden, the Democrats are having more success mobilizing their logical supporters, which would be the women and the younger voters. So it's going to be a crazy fall. (laughs) Well, on that note, Nelson, I thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you. Always a pleasure. And again, I've been speaking with Anne Nelson, who teaches journalism and public affairs at Columbia University. Her books include Red Orchestra, The Berlin Underground, and The Circle of Friends Who Resisted Hitler, a New York Times book review, Editor's Choice, and Suzanne's Children, A Daring Rescue in Nazi Paris, a finalist for the National Jewish Book Award. A native of Oklahoma, her latest book is Shadow Network, Media, Money, and the Secret Hub of the Radical Right, now out in an updated paperback version. And her latest articles at the New Republic are 10 People You've Never Heard Of Who Are Destroying Democracy and A Rare Peek Inside the Vast Right-Wing Conspiracy. This has been Background Briefing. I'm Ian Masters, and I'd like to thank producer Graham Fitzgibbon. And to help us sustain this program into the future and assure it remains free to all, please take a moment to support us by going to backgroundbriefing.org donate or publictruthmedia.org where you will find our non-profit Public Truth Media Foundation, where your tax-deductible donations, large and small, keep us broadcasting. And if you missed any of today's program and would like to explore our vast archives, you can find us at backgroundbriefing.org, where we'll include extended interviews searchable by topic and have made it easy for you to sign up for daily email updates that provide links to resources, articles, and books discussed on the program. Also, you can find links there to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And we also encourage your ratings and reviews on these platforms. Find us on Twitter and Facebook at Ian Masters Media. And please do help us reach more listeners by sharing this program with friends, family, and colleagues. And I'll be back again tomorrow with another background briefing at backgroundbriefing.org. Bye for now.
Sunday.